Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me today will be everyone as we, uh, well, technically take a break, but uh, because this is a replay of three different reviews that we've done in the last year, we will hear from everybody on the show today. So just so you know... uh, and also, nobody's still on vacation. But, you know, we're, we're still seeing movies. We're still getting organized for the shows for the year ahead. January's kind of a slow month. So this seems like a good time to do all the admin work you don't hear when you're listening to end credits every week. So just so you know, um, nobody's, nobody's taking a vacation. Everyone's just kind of like, we're just getting our stuff together for 2024. Just wait and see. It's going to be great. Anyway, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies. But this week, we're going to review three movies from, well, not the distant past, but definitely the past. Um, Earlier this year, they released a new Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones on the Dial of Destiny. You can now watch that on Disney Plus to your heart's content or rent it on VOD if you don't have Disney Plus. Or pick it up at uh, a, a Blu-ray and DVD seller um, store. Because, you know, long live physical media. Anyway, uh, in the lead up to the release of Dial of Destiny in the summer, uh, we we revisited the first four Indiana Jones movies week to week to week to week. And then Candace and I reviewed the Dial of Destiny when it came out on VOD in December. So, for the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, we're going to run the series on Indiana Jones. This week's episode is going to focus on Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. In other words, the core trilogy of the series. (laughs) And I think a lot of people probably wish that they had stopped at three, I mean, maybe, but I I think there is a lot to recommend both Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, and we'll get into that next week as we revisit those interviews. For now, it was really interesting to look back about 40 years to the past and and take a fresh look at these movies and why they they connect so well and why they still work after all this time. So uh, first up, Peter Salmon will join us to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then Tim Phillips will join us to talk about the Temple of Doom. And that then we will wrap up with Candice Lepage talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So let's get into it. Let's run the series on Indiana Jones. Yesterday afternoon, our European sections intercepted a a German communique that was sent from Cairo to Berlin. You see, over the last two years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. 
Hitler's a nut on the subject. He's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. And right now, apparently, there's some kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Now, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it, and maybe you can. Tannis development proceeding. Acquire headpiece, staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, well, the city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you mean ten commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any of you guys ever go to Sunday school? All right, so... Um... What, where, where do you where does one start with Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, Peter, you, you're a youth. Talk about how you stumbled stumbled upon Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, so I am actually I'm not a huge Spielberg fan, mm-hmm. but uh, I am a huge uh, Indiana Jones fan. And yeah, it was just introduced to me through my um, parents, and it's it's hard to because of its all uh, references and you know Simpsons, Family Guy, Community has a um, a lot of references to it um it's it's hard to avoid indiana jones right but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. for me yeah it was through my parents and i watched them religiously i i have you know the full collection uh well i have the the you know the uh, 90s full collection I, I don't have the kingdom of the crystal scholar <gasps> I've got In, the OG DVD. I've got the. Oh, I'll get it one day. I'll get it one day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would. I would say, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if it's my favorite. I'd have to do a full reanalysis, but it, it's definitely one of my favorites, and I, I think it's objectively the best. It's at least mm-hmm. a perfect introduction to Mr. Indiana Jones and what his adventures will be. Um, and I think something. Now I have to rewatch the other ones, but something mm. that is a good standout is there are some dated elements, but mm. it's less dated than it could be based on mm. you know being an archaeologist. Um, I think there's a lot of other films from the 80s that are exceptionally more dated regarding you know race and gender. So mm. there's that. Again, there is some dated parts, but uh, in comparison to the 80s overall, it's mm. still looking okay. Yeah, that's what's interesting because I mean, next week with Tim, we're going to dive into Temple of Doom, which is probably more problematic than I, I might remember, even though I watched it a couple of years ago. But yeah, this, I mean, yeah, all you kind of have to do is kind of ignore this veneer of uh, sort of colonial tomb raiding, which is kind of the the, the entire aesthetic of Indiana Jones. I'm going to go into, you know, the quote-unquote third world and take their niche knickknacks and tchotchkes and, and bring them back to our um, museum and put them behind glass so that people who have no connection to this culture can appreciate them. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me uh, in the upcoming one if they make it so, yes, he's going and he's finding some sort of uh, artifact, but it's to return it to Mm. its homeland or something of that nature. I think there's a way that they can make uh, him still an archaeologist, but um, it more present. Uh, I guess it's still going to be set 60s or 70s, but... um, It's in 69. Yeah, 69. Uh, There was already a... That's, you know, like the... The hippie countercultural all that um his mindset could be more liberal and he could he could bring it back to the the og land hopefully we'll see we'll see I mean, it, but you're right that that part 
uh, is definitely dated in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's just that whole occupation is. So you kind of got to look past that, I guess. Well, it's it's interesting you should say that. Cause I don't know if you've seen like some of the uh, Indiana Jones is going woke memes out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, it, it's... <laughs> There's always like yeah some sort of trending of whatever it is going woke. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was it a heavy one? Was was a, were a lot of people making the comments? Was there anything in particular that I I don't know because um it started like after they showed Dial of Destiny at Con and I don't know how many people have seen it or how many people are just reacting to things that they've heard about in the movie mm-hmm. or if they're reacting to like Phoebe Waller Bridge who's I was just thinking okay. that that could probably be the reason yeah because she she's a strong a feminist and not the uh typical mm-hmm. um main female protagonist casting and the mm-hmm. the earlier ones mm-hmm. um, although I would say Bridge of the Lost Ark she's you know she she's quite strong and smart uh, you mean Karen Allen. Yeah, it's not Marianne, as dated yeah. as the the following Temple of the Doom. Uh, yeah, I I Kate Kate Capshaw gets so much crap for Temple of Doom. I'm not yeah, sure yeah, it's justified. Um, and Karen Allen will be returning. Uh, I'm glad she's the one that'll be returning for um. Yeah, she's yeah, the title Destiny Indiana too. Jones. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, some interesting background to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think people understand it was like uh, a, a George Lucas Spielberg joint that they worked together on. Um, although it's also got Philip Kaufman in there. Um, Philip Kaufman was kind of like developed the, the the very first iteration of the screenplay with George Lucas. And then Lawrence Kasdan took over. Lawrence Kasdan, of course, worked with George Lucas on Empire Strikes Back. Um, Spielberg was not initially going to be director. It was initially going to be Kaufman was director, but then Kaufman moved on and uh, Lucas was talking to Spielberg about this thing. He was working on Spielberg wanted to make a a James Bond movie. Uh, Famously chubby broccoli was uh, ambivalent about letting non English (laughs) directors make James Bond movies, which is something fortunately his children have kind of chilled on. Um, well, because now they're the British and their role in that is is dated now. They're not well, that's, protagonists. So I mean, yeah, James Bond's an international brand as much as anything. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Lucas takes it to Spielberg. Spielberg's like, "Yes, I'd love to do that. That sounds awesome. That sounds better than James Bond." And uh, so they start shopping it to studios. Um. And this is like kind of like an interesting sort of factoid uh, about sort of where Spielberg was in his career studios were interested but uh, because Spielberg had made by this point he had made Jaws and Close Encounters which were hits but had both gone over schedule and over budget and then at this point he had also made 1941 which um, uh, let's let's just be kind and say it's not great uh, but also went over schedule and over budget so studios were very uh, cold about Spielberg. They're like, well, yeah, it's a it's a great idea. It's a great script. We like it. We want to do it. But this Spielberg guy, um, he's uh, he's a money pit. And so when they made the deal with Paramount, um, it was with this like, it came with like the possibility of severe penalties if they went over budget or over schedule. So you have this sort of crash course for Spielberg. A lot of people talk about the the economy of it. And, and you do see that when, you know, rewatching this, I was kind of watching at the time and you kind of get this movie in, in 
in like 10 to these 10 to 12 minute chunks where you get a piece of of the story and you get these character interactions and you get an action sequence then you move on to the next one so there's a real kind of economy of storytelling in this and you can see it and it's not like you can like see the blueprints in the movie or anything unless you're really looking looking at it like i was looking at it for this one but you can really feel spielberg being under the gun on this one to be good be fast be efficient and for lack of a better word be cheap because you know he he has something to prove with this one yeah absolutely i also think something special about indiana jones and i think what you were just saying it's due to spielberg really having to put effort into it make it a standout and make it something that'll uh aid to his career being a long-lasting one right Mm. there is a lot of small little hints of the character's characteristics that aren't fully attached to the plot so Mm. unlike star wars and other films where there isn't much depth to the characters there's little tidbits of just external social things uh characteristics going on that just adds depth to the world Mm -hmm. uh that you're viewing um just a couple examples in the very beginning one the one student blinks and her on her eyes it just says uh love you or i love you or whatever (laughs) and that doesn't have anything to do with the plot right but it Mm -hmm. adds depth to his uh job as a professor right what he deals with and then when he has the first conversation with those two people trying to uh, to tell uh, that tell them what's going on and to the government guys you know the government is that, is that they are the government guys yeah and the one just starts talking over the other right mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with the story but again it just adds a pinch of depth to them it makes the world that you're viewing seem more real right there's yeah. a lot of things like that it's not even fully noticeable but it adds enough realism to the film that you're going to enjoy the ride even though a lot of it is exactly that just a little roller coaster of some talking and then some fast action there there's so little exposition in this which i find just kind of fascinating that nobody like nobody thought like there's no scene where indiana jones goes to cairo and he meets with sala and he's explaining to Miriam how he knows Sala and, and all the, the jobs he's done with Sala. There's, there's none of that. It's just Indiana Jones is there. Sala is there. Marion's there. The family's there. Indiana Jones and Sala sit down and start talking about the, the dig. Like you, you understand that they are friends. They've worked together. Uh, and, and this is them putting their heads together again to, to, to figure out another job. It's, you know, there's just static, you know, the first, the very first scene with, um, with Belloc, where you meet Belloc, the the antagonist, and mm. you know Indiana Jones comes rolling out of the cave, having been chased out of there by a by a huge boulder, and yeah, you know, going through webs and spiders and poison darts and guys stabbing him in the, in the back, almost literally. <laughs> um, he you know he comes out of the jungle. Belloc's there, and it's it's like a, it's just a two minute scene. It's like maybe. 10 or 15 lines of dialogue, but you get everything you need to understand about their dynamic. Indiana Jones buses, buses chops to, to get this idol. And not for the first time, but Belloc has, you know, slipped in behind him and, and just, you know, steals it. And, you know, there, there's Belloc literally says the line like, well, there's nothing you can't get that I can't take away. Belloc is the guy who doesn't do the work. He waits for you to do the work and then he'll come and, you know, shove you and, 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 grab your stuff while you're on the ground picking yourself up so it's it you you get everything you need in a few lines of dialogue a few interactions 
and nobody's sit, you know, no, there's no annoying voiceover. There's nobody having to, you know, throw up lines of exposition. And it, what, what I find remarkable too is like any filmmaker making like an reasonably decent action adventure movie will always quote Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like, well, I, you know, I was thinking about making a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think this is like when Dungeons and Dragons came out earlier this year, like the, the, the two guys who made that were talking about Raiders too. And it's just like everyone quotes this movie as an as a source of inspiration. I'm not sure how many people really take the lessons from Raiders of the Lost Ark to heart, though. Which lessons are you referring to? Like the, the teachings just, of the film or just, how? Just like the economy of storytelling, the like not having to have the exposition dump, keeping the action moving. Also, you know, you don't think enough people have followed along with that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean there there are uh, this this isn't a problem with the, the the Dungeons and Dragons movie necessarily, but you know there are a lot of Tomb Raider. I was thinking about the the original Tomb Raider movie with Angelina Jolie, where it's it's very much in the mold of Indiana Jones, but she has like all of these ancillary characters who you know we have to explain why they're there. Um, oh, she has all these it, yeah. complex motivations. Like the whole motivation of Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark is he wants to get the Ark and he wants to get it before the Nazis. That's all. Yeah, and that's, have... all, that's all you need to know for the adventure. <laughs> it's good to uh, leave a lot of things to your imagination, right? If it's yeah. not 100% needed for the plot for an adventure film like this, then just don't include it. Yeah. Um, and no, you're absolutely right. I think also uh, MCU has a big issue with that. There's, yeah, that's a huge uh, issue. Somewhere that's not needed, but, you know, especially Infinity Wars, the Avengers ones, uh, where there's so many of the external superhero films connected, um, they, they try to explain too much. And it just pulls mm -hmm. away from the story that um, you're viewing or, you know, the feeling it's trying to give, the adventure you're trying to be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, right as the Lost Ark, you're right, uh, masters that and more should learn from it mm -hmm. you know some did like you said but i wish more had and that it had uh retained mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i i mean I'm curious if that uh will be within dial of destiny or if it will try to maybe explain too much to new viewers you know i, I i'm really curious about that because uh, what i'm worried about is there's a lot of flashbacks right so mm -hmm. is that as an explanation to new viewers or you know we'll we'll see if uh spielberg or i guess mangold has learned from raiders of the lost ark and, and the benefits of i guess lack of lack of depth to certain characters or including that's, what's not needed yeah i mean that's a big big concern to me it's like is this adding depth to the story or are you doing it because you want to dh harrison ford and show him during world war ii that's i mean that's the really the thing of it because until dial of destiny there's only been one flashback in the history of these movies and it's at the beginning of last crusade which kind of undermines some of the point you know we're making here because it's 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 an exposition heavy like i think it's like 15 minutes long maybe it's less than that but um where it's like everything that made Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones happened in one afternoon in like 1908 or something. So yeah, well, well, I'll be curious to <laughs> hear your episode on that one because it, it that maybe is a Spielberg mistake, right? Was, mm. was that necessary for the film? I guess to add um, a bit of understanding to his relationship with his father, uh, Sean Connery. I guess, yeah. I, guess. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know, but um, I think the Raiders of the Lost Ark 
uh, tactic he used is is way better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, um, it, it's an economy of character. I mean, and a lot's been said about you know sort of the action sequences too. It's it, it you know the the plane fight where he fights the the giant hulking Nazi and uh, the plane blows up. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I mean, we talk a lot about like sort of the jump cuts and the the handheld stuff and like a lot of action sequences today. But you know, again, that's that scene with its cuts, it, you know, with its the way that it lays out the geography. Like, where's the gas truck? Where's the plane? Um, how many guys are on the tarmac? Uh, where's Marion? <laughs> this and it goes, it just goes beat by beat by beat. It sets sets it up piece by piece by piece mm -hmm. when the when she takes the, the the chocks out from under the wheels to club the pilot over the head, the starting of the plane, when the plane is spinning around, knocks the truck, the, the fuel thing off the truck so that the fuel spilling everywhere, watching the fuel flow across the tarmac to where there's a fire, just beat by beat by beat. It is um it, it is a little film class how watching how that whole scene cuts together. And then just, you know, the the human touches of it too when he's he's trying to sneak up on the pilot he gets up on the wing and the big hulking nazi guy comes out and he mm -hmm. starts screaming at him in german like come on let's fight and <laughs> harrison's reaction when he just like puts up an is like okay okay just give me a sec i'll be right with you <laughs> yeah no, so so well done yeah it's there's, there's so much going on and it's it, it all seems to flow so simply and I, I can't imagine any of that, like, logistic-wise, is simple. But I, I think that's one of the great gifts of Raiders, is that it all seems to come together so simply. Willie, Willie. What is that? Is that short for something? Willie is my professional name. Indiana. Hey, lady, you call him Dr. Jones. My professional name. Why are you dragging us off to this deserted palace? Fortune and glory? Fortune and glory. Well, this is a piece of an old manuscript. This pictograph represents Sankara. Gentle, gentle. This is hundreds of years old. Is that some kind of writing? Yeah. Sanskrit. Cut it out. It's part of the legend of Sankara. He climbs Mount Kalisa where he meets Shiva, the Hindu god. That's Shiva, and what's he handing the priest? Rocks. He told him to go forth and combat evil. And to help him, he gave him five sacred stones with magical properties. Magic rocks. My grandpa was a magician. He spent his entire life with a rabbit in his pocket and pigeons up his sleeves. He made a lot of children happy and died a very poor man. Magic rocks, fortune and glory. Sweet dreams, Dr. Jones. So, Temple of Doom uh, comes out in 1984. It is, well, it's, it turns 40 years old next year. So there's that. It's entering middle age. Um Interestingly, it is technically a prequel because it takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. So this is George Lucas in 1984 already flirting with prequels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're in 1935. Uh, it features Indiana Jones. Uh, he shows up at 
Club Obi-Wan. Wink. Yeah, yeah, I caught that. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, to uh, get a diamond in exchange for these um, remains of a ancient Chinese emperor. Uh, hijinks happen, and he and his compatriots, which are Willie Scott, a lounge singer played by Kate Capshaw, and Short Round, a uh, Chinese orphan played by Kei Hu, I should say, um, current or recent Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Actor, Kei Hu Kwong. Um, and they end up going to this uh, legendary palace in India where there is uh, skullduggery afoot. Um, and I guess that's a good place to begin with all this. It's like, um, how did you feel watching this in the year 2023? Because even at the time, there was a lot of talk about white savior complex and the whole concept of, I guess, othering uh, India and othering the people of India with this uh, crazy human sacrifice cult. And of course, you know, the most famous scene, maybe perhaps arguably the most famous scene in Temple of Doom, the the lunch scene. Let's call yeah. it the let's call it the lunch scene with uh, <laughs> eyeball soup, chilled monkey brains, uh, snake surprise. I, I literally forgot it was called snake surprise in the film. <laughs> um and then of course uh the 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 paratif of the uh the giant cockroaches are or were they spiders? I don't know. But anyway, um good times. Uh probably not as culturally sensitive as uh it could have been, but I think that's a probably a good place to start talking about Temple of Doom is uh let's call it the India problem. <laughs> yeah. And it was a problem back then too, like doing the mm. research, they weren't allowed to shoot in india because government asked for the script they wanted to shoot at big temple, mistake temple yeah. there <laughs> and they were like they're probably excited they're like oh steven spielberg george lucas mm. want to shoot in india this is great and then they read the script and they were like what the heck is this <laughs> What's with these crazy stereotypes right so mm. they ended up shooting in sri lanka mm -hmm. um temple of doom uh is a movie from my youth. Um, mm -hmm. It was one of those ones I grew up with, right? Like a six or seven, probably when I saw it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you can see it did start the PG-13 rating because there's mm -hmm. so much violence. Mm -hmm. But the thing I remembered from back then was the eyeball soup. Mm -hmm. Like when you said, Tim, we're going to do Temple of Doom again. It's like, oh yeah, that's the one with the eyeball <laughs> soup. That's how I remember it, right? And now watch it again and give it and, it and it's crazy because this is like this is an action-packed movie mm -hmm. it's like action for action's sake mm -hmm. that i think you talked about the prequel it it, it was a prequel to prequels right mm -hmm. in that they did this and then i think it was a prequel to action for action's sake movies because this movie is just like excuse for action excuse for action all throughout just like mm -hmm. it just wants to be a ride kind of thing mm -hmm. and yet given all that action the thing that stuck with me as a kid was still the eyeball soup Mm -hmm. thing that still sticks with me watching again is like the eyeball soup because <laughs> it was just so odd right mm -hmm. and not not for uh not because it's racist which it pro it is racist as well right mm -hmm. the fact that they're saying okay in india they're gonna serve you monkey brains and eyeball soup mm -hmm. uh, that's that's not the case and you could see even pre like more 
pre woke times, like like now we're we're more aware and stuff. Even before mm. this, in like interviews when it came out and shortly afterwards, Steven Spielberg I think was a bit embarrassed by it, mm. and he even said, and if this is the case, it's kind of clever, but it doesn't come across in the movie. He said that during the banquet scene, the reason he did that is because of Western stereotypes of what Indian food would be. Right. So these Indian hosts are playing with those stereotypes saying, okay, you think we're going to serve you cockroaches? We'll serve you cockroaches. Right. You know, we'll serve you monkey brains and eyeballs. It's sort of like a joke on the Westerners. But that mm-hmm. doesn't come across, I think, when you no, watch. No, no. If I mean, if that was the intent, it, it it's 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 like it's so dry as as sort of like a, a satire, um, and and I do I I wonder if that's a bit of retconning on the part because I I I I think Roseanne Seth, who plays the prime minister in that scene, he he said something similar. Uh, I I so I I mean I I don't doubt that maybe that was the intent but on the other hand it just it they handled it badly if that was the thing like it would have been i mean would it would it have been so hard to insert a scene of like some of the waiters going like yeah we just took out the cockroaches <laughs> <laughs> or something like that it yeah, just yeah it, it it i i do wonder if they were just taking things a bit too far um i mean there's so i what i will say is we're watching this I found some of the Orientalism much worse. Like the, the the sequence at the beginning in the in the with the Chinese gangsters, that was let's say not as woke as as yeah. as as you would have liked. There there is a lot of interesting dynamic going on in the when when they get to the palace in India and you know the the Indian villagers. Um, you know, are are people who are been you know pushed to their limits. They're desperate. They're starving. Um, I, I appreciate that there's still like kind of this white savior complex to it that is is kind of distasteful. But just what struck me as worse was the Orientalism, like these like cackling, two timing, two faced Chinese gangsters who yeah. um, <laughs> are just spend the entire sequence uh, just you know making deals and immediately betraying uh the, the deal they're making and uh you know there's there's a scene where they poison Indiana Jones and he he puts a fork in uh Willie Scott and he's like give me the antidote and he, and the what's the name of the the main gangster Lao Fei or something he's like oh, yeah. yeah just yeah killer whatever <laughs> doesn't matter to me <laughs> Lao Che yeah Lao Che that's right um it, it's just it's that stuff I I found kind of much more grotesque than some of the Indian stuff, and it's like right there at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this movie, right? It was you can say it's simpler times, and it it, mm. it, it killed at the box office. It was ama- like amazing at the box office, and mm. I remember it from my youth. Yeah, Temple of Doom. That was one of the big big movies of the time, but. Yeah, you can look back at it, and and it is yeah racially insensitive. Like the fir- I like the I like the opening number by yeah Kate, Kate Capshaw um, as Willie Scott, where she sings "Anything Goes." Mm-hmm. She is singing it in Mandarin, so then my twenty twenty three like Spidey sense gets goes up, and I'm like, what you know, this is kind of weird. 
but then you can see okay she there she's entertaining in in china here but yeah mm. then the chinese gangsters are all stereotypes um i think short round i really liked him yeah no short round's like um, interesting and it, you know uh he, he ends up sort of being the hero to a point because the sequence in the temple where Indiana Jones is like under the thrall. It's it's short round who who gets him to snap out of it and is kind of like the the um I, I guess like sort of the the person who kicks off the big action sequence at the end where he gets it where he gets Indiana Jones to recover his faculties who then starts finding the guys and rescues Willie and then uh, they get out of the to get out of the temple it's it's short round short round is the hero which i appreciated yeah yeah that was great but i i think a lot of the criticism at the time was that it was uh mean-spirited mm. i don't know how intentional but and then like george lucas blamed it on the the excuse he gave was that him and steven spielberg were both going through divorces at the time mm. and they had a really sort of negative outlook and then Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. was asked to write uh, Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And he refused because he just said it was too too <laughs> negative, too mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. And he had some clout at that point because he directed Body Heat and The Big Chill. So mm-hmm. he, he, he didn't have to go for that paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just it's kind of this really odd movie that like as a kid... I just took at face value, didn't think about all these issues and mm. sort of said, Oh, this is the big Indiana Jones movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, and when you look back at it, there are definitely a lot of problems with it. And I think one of the bigger problems and it, one that critics of the day said was it's just like, there's no real, no real plot that's of interest to it. It's great. It's like just this action. It's just this ride basically. Mm-hmm. But like, the plot is saving these child laborers, which is problematic in itself, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so it's it's you know the the whole the whole motivation behind it is flawed, mm. but it is a precursor, I think. Like when they're at one point, I'm like, this is like a ride when they're mm-hmm. like on the tracks and they're you know, mm-hmm. it seemed like okay, this is like the Indiana Jones ride. I could see this. This is going to be a ride at Universal Studios or something, right? Right, so, right. That's interesting yeah. too. Like structurally, rewatching Raiders um, last week, it's it's very meticulous in its design. It's it, and I talked to Peter about this. You can like break off Raiders in these like ten to twelve minute chunks, where you get like a complete sort of sequence from like character development action plot and you can separate them that's like these 10 to 12 minute chunks and it just goes chunk 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 until you get to the end it's there's a real economy to the storytelling this doesn't kind of have that focus where you get you get that big opening musical number which is like the closest spielberg came to doing a musical until west side story um you get this like film noirish kind of double cross sequence in the club you get the the escape out of the plane and then they get to the village and there's it's just this like a completely like sort of 
I don't know, out of Africa sequence, although it's in India, where it's just like it's like the misery of this of this place. <laughs> um, and you know, look at everything that's happened to them. And then they get on their way to the the palace and um they get to the palace. There's that horrid dinner sequence. Um, there's this kind of like sex comedy sequence too, where you know, yeah. Indiana like out of Jones. nowhere they're gonna, <laughs> yeah. gonna make they're like, love out of nowhere kind of yeah, yeah, it, yeah you know it's like something out of a like a 60s like rom-com um and, and then you get into the temple and then that kind of you get into this whole sequence too where indiana jones is forced to drink the the zombie juice or whatever it is and and then yeah. but then you get to that end sequence where you're finally kind of hitting those action strides i think what it speaks to is, yeah, there's personal stuff going on in the lives of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg at this point that they're probably not feeling great about. But there's also like these usual like Temple of Doom comes out a year after Return of the Jedi. So Lucas is done with Star Wars. At least, you know, he thinks at the time I'm done with Star Wars. What am I going to do next? Well, I have this other thing uh, called Indiana Jones. Spielberg coming off of his biggest success ever et on the cusp of going on to this new journey where he's like i don't want to be the blockbuster guy i want to be like the serious auteur guy like because what does he do after temple of doom he does color purple which is this like way off track in terms of like what people would have accepted from him and probably would have accepted from him today this like deeply um personal story about black america from from director steven spielberg so this is somebody who's desperate to kind of tra- change the channel on himself and i think you sort of see that and if if there are times when temple of doom feels schizophrenic i think it's because of like a lot of the prefer- the professional frustrations of lucas and spielberg at the time and you know you mentioned um I don't know if it was before we started recording or not that, you know, that there was a whole thing that Lucas wanted a, a, you know, a lost kingdom where there's like dinosaurs in a valley and things like that. And so this is like the start of kind of a creative friction between the two of them. And it was sort of it sort of comes back to haunt, especially when we get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull at the end of this, that creative friction, because one of the reasons that took yeah. so long to develop was Ford Spielberg and Lucas could not get on the same page. Uh, about the story so it, it it is i think an artifact of when you get creative talents in a room trying to replicate previous success while at the same time trying to decide what happens next in their careers and this is more than just about creating an indiana jones sequel this is about like filmmakers at a at a fork in the road and two two very different filmmakers two very different forks in the road too yeah and it might have been rushed because Mm -hmm. i know george lucas he and he probably lucas you know he made it he made it mega big probably Mm -hmm. before spielberg right with star wars that would be well no jaws was before that was first but like lucas i think like from what I read, really, he's like, I don't want to lose Steve on this. I don't want Steven to go. He just did ET. Mm-hmm. We need him to do this. Mm-hmm. We have a limited time. We got to get in here, shoot this mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. and and then they 
did it. They did the rough cut, and they're like, "This is way too fast" because it was just action sequence after action <laughs> sequence. And so they actually had to put in, they said, like mat shots to slow it down and stuff. And and and, and so it was kind of like, you know, what's the purpose of this film really? And mm-hmm. I don't think there was a lot of great planning because I also read that um, Spielberg, when he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark, or after that, I'm not sure. Lucas said, "Well, you know, this is a trilogy, so mm-hmm. if." you want you do this one you have to do the other and and spielberg said and then he went to lucas and lucas hadn't didn't have the <laughs> ideas hadn't written the other two yeah right? yeah, so, yeah. and it was like the 80s there's probably pressure from the studios they want another big box office movie here that's right and so there's probably a lot of like cynical intentions to it because you know george lucas at the time he produced uh howard the duck right mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest flops ever and he's like just pumping money into that just wanting to get the next hit mm-hmm. um directed by temple of doom screenwriter willard hayek yeah so willard <laughs> uh willard isn't one of my favorites i don't think <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Ain't that you, Junior? Don't call me that, please. Well, what are you doing here? I came to get you. What do you think? Late 14th century Ming Dynasty. Oh, it breaks the heart. And the head. You hit the head. I'll never forgive myself. Don't worry, I'm fine. Thank God. <laughs> it's fake. See, you can tell with the cross sections. No. Yes, there is. There is no bad Indiana Jones movie, but there is a best Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> and it happens to be The Last Crusade. Okay, uh, explain why. It's it's just it's the most fun. Um I mean, I think if it was the first movie to mm. be put out, it might not be as fun, but because we already know so much about Indiana Jones, it's okay to be sort of thrown into this. So mm-hmm. it's just so fun to see the father-son um dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, is is great. Um the quest of what they're what they're on is you know, it kind of harkens back to the first one because mm-hmm. it's religious in nature, but mm-hmm. it's something that pretty much, I mean, maybe I'm overstating it, but everyone kind of knows about the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. If you live in a westernized society where we're kind of loosely Christian based. Mm-hmm. So it just, um, I feel like it was just an easy, it's just so easy to get into. But but really, it is about the father son that just makes it the best. Plus the return of Sala. Sala is great in this film. And, and don't forget Marcus Brody. Um, and Brody, I know we get so much Brody. It's great. <laughs> yeah, the MacGuffin. Um, I think that's one of the things I noticed. Temple of Doom is that you know there's a full on explanation of the Sankara stones in that in you know hindu mythology that uh, is obviously there for a western audience that is not familiar with hindu mythology and uh yeah the, the, as a macguffin 
the Holy Grail is pretty self-explanatory because it's, you know, it, there is that Christian origin. It's part of uh, the King Arthur legend. So, uh, I mean, that makes it sort of elegant in a way. And then you can, it allows the, the adventure to focus predominantly on that father-son relationship, which, of course, um, Sean Connery, I think it was 14 years older than Harrison Ford. So it's a little, little yeah. lopsided. But I mean... Uh, the flip side of it, too, is like if you're watching uh, a TV show that's about teenagers, the teenager is being played by a 20 year old and the parents being played by like somebody in their 40s. So it's this is this is the way Hollywood casting works. It's just interesting to see it on. Usually you notice it with the, the mother characters. The mothers are unusually young for having teenagers. And then. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> of but, course, I mean. Sean Connery is just very good at playing a, a, an old man. Like he's been playing the old man character for a long time. So <laughs> it doesn't actually matter what his age was. It's like, it's like he was playing a, you know, a man in his seventies for the last, I don't know, 40 years. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's coming off this stretch where he's, uh, I mean, it was kind of a comeback for him. He's in the untouchables where he is also playing a father figure of sorts so it's it's something that he has been sort of well, I, I guess, groomed for is 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 the word. So uh, you can <laughs> prepared. Uh, let's say prepared. Let's say prepared. But also, <laughs> it's it, you know, it's it, the backstory is interesting to note because, of course, Indiana Jones, uh, uh, George Lucas um, introduced Steven Spielberg to the idea of Indiana Jones when they're talking about what spielberg was going to do next and spielberg was talking about wanting to do a james bond movie and george lucas said something to the effect well i've got something better than james bond so at the end of the day you know who else but james bond could be indiana jones's father i think that's like literally a quote from either lucas or spielberg and yeah. one of them i mean it's brilliant casting because yeah. of that because it's james bond and you're like oh of course sean connery plays his father that's why <laughs> indiana jones is so cool and then we're introduced to henry jones and we go <laughs> well, that's not James Bond. <laughs> I mean, that's where did great. Indy get all this? Where did he learn all this stuff if it wasn't from his dad, which it most definitely was not? <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's great subversion of expectations that you get this like tweed wearing uh, dork, essentially. Um, Academic. <laughs> academic dork um, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's uh, there are so many touches on that. Um, from the the scene where they're being shot at from the plane and and uh and henry senior is like they're trying to kill us <laughs> there's the, the, the shock and a ball on his in, in his voice yeah. and then uh when he's rescued from the tank he he, he pops up and he looks at uh, indiana jones he's like you call this archaeology <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's also great i mean and then even in the the, the rare cases of like henry jones senior action when he like sets the bird flock off to bring the the plane down, and then he starts quoting Charlemagne, it's uh, it's all. I mean, it's all perfectly of a. I'm going to use the word dork. It's it's all perfectly yeah, again of, of, a, of a dork vibe. Yeah, it's it's the intellectual, right? He, I mean, not that Indiana Jones doesn't use his brain because obviously mm. Indiana Jones is also you know a professor. He's very smart. He knows all these languages. He knows all this history, and he teaches it. Mm -hmm. um, but he's just he he's also got the street smarts. But you can see it in that that bird scene when he's, you know, saving them from the plane that <laughs> he's he's, you know, using so much knowledge that he has. And even Indy Indy is like impressed at the yeah. end. He finally sort of goes, oh, oh, my dad really does. He's he's going to be fine. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. 
my dad can come through in a pinch, which I think is is, is sort of like I mean, there's also the the Spielberg daddy issues that you can read into this, but <laughs> the it's also the reconciliation of daddy issues. I wonder if you go back, um, Spielberg. I've I've heard him talk a lot about sort of reconciling with his father around the time Private Ryan came out, and that um, you know making a film that was sort of explicitly about his father's generation and and their war sort of warmed him to to reconcile with his father. But I also wonder if there's like a bit of a reconcile here. There's like there's there's this great bit of just silent acting at the end of that scene where Henry Jones is walking off after he's quoted Charlemagne and, and Indiana just sort of watch it looks after him and just does like kind of like a, a nod. Yeah. It it, holds, it holds on Harrison Ford's face for a very long time on that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what Spielberg's really good at is like sort of these non-communicatives, these, these like little pieces of um, body language that that says more than a line of dialogue can. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's interesting is that um, while there's certainly, you know, Germany and Nazis mm-hmm. were sort of the bad guys in uh, the first film in the Lost Ark. It's mm-hmm. far more explicit in this one, and them being like on the verge of of world war mm-hmm. um, was really talked about, and it, it's a terrible sign at the times, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, Henry, uh, you know, Sean Connery's character, has this this part where he talks about how incredibly terrible it would be if the Nazis were to to gain the power of the Grail. And he's just talking about, you know, this is like the most evil thing in the world and it'll turn everything so evil. And I'm like, oh, it's so refreshing to think back on a time, like even just in the, in the 80s, it was almost the 90s when this film came out, mm-hmm. that it was clear that the Nazis were wrong uh-huh. and evil and uh-huh. all of this was bad and <laughs> like could we even say that anymore in a film i don't know but i think it was important to you know when you sort of talk about the the fact that all of these films are are set in the past it mm. really does sort of help to sort of talk about or or make not like make light but make it more entertaining for people to see how truly awful these people were and what they were doing so that those of us now can kind of, you know, think about our, our, you know, in some cases, parents or grandparents mm. who were part of that, who were affected by that, who lived through that, that is like, no, they really were this terrible. Like, <laughs> I mean, the, Spielberg and Lucas in, in, in sort of like designing these films, at, at least the two that predominantly I should say the two released so far that predominantly feature Nazi characters. And I was thinking about this today, both Raiders and last crusade, the, the, the main villain is not a Nazi. There's someone who's collaborating with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It, uh, Belloc and Raiders is a French archeologist. He's just sort of like a gun for hire. And then you have Walter Donovan in this movie who is, um, you know, I guess, it's never said, but it probably implied heavily that he's a part of the Bund Society and part of like sort of the American Germanic movement to ally with the Nazis in the war. And, and he's, you know, sort of more than happy to to just go along with this. And and I, I find that very interesting reading in the modern context. It's not, it's not so much about the goon squad. And I mean, yeah, there's there's the, the main Nazi in this Vogel, who's just like a 
it, it, just like central casting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is how we say goodbye in Germany, Doctor Jones, and punches them. It's <laughs> um, there's always like these oily, especially oily Nazis in in these two films. But it just the the main characters, the main antagonists, are people who are not Nazis themselves. They are not German born. They are not members of the party, but they're going along with it, and that feels. I'm not sure if there was a pointed statement being made, but I mean, it, standing here in the year 2023 and sort of coming to that conclusion, it it seems very, very pointed in retrospect. Yeah. And when you think particularly about the Jewish genocide, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those, those collaborators mm-hmm. or people who just sort of didn't stand up or just mm-hmm. said, it's, it's fine. They're not bothering me. It's okay. You know, or neighbors turning on neighbors like that. Right. Yeah, that was such uh, a terror. Like, yeah, the the inaction of everybody else is mm-hmm. as evil, or potentially even more evil, because it's sinister almost mm-hmm. than the outright Nazism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that goes back to what Henry was saying, right? Is that they're evil, but what they're what they like that creeping evil around them that just like allowed everybody else to go well you know it's fine or oh hey you know here i mean even we saw it when they went to um the the city that they were going to start the the grail quest for and Mm -hmm. speaking to the person who's in charge saying yeah you know we're gonna come and take this this thing from your land but here we're gonna pay you lots here's a bunch of gold and a bunch and and that guy was just like sure whatever no big deal Oh, it's, you want it's, you want a cup it, that gives you eternal life? Fine, it's okay. It's worse than that, though. He he scoffs at the riches and goes for the car. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I even like the color. It's it again. I I don't know what it is. Sort of like reading it. It's just it seems so base. It's just it, it's not even like. Actually, the guy does have a line now that I'm thinking about. He's, he's, you know, Donovan's explaining all this to him, and he just cuts Donovan off. He says, "Okay, what have you brought me?" And it's just yeah. so transactional. It's just so he's just willing to sell out. It's yeah, he's willing, <laughs> willing to sell out the entire world just for this car. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I, I could. You kind of have to have respect for somebody who's just that sort of nakedly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> transactional <laughs> sure yeah i mean I, I don't know if respect uh you know there must be another word mm-hmm. yeah yeah no 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 i hear you um one of the things that struck me is um especially watching temple of doom a week ago i don't think i've ever really watched the indiana jones movies like sort of one after the other like this but for me last crusade is obviously a correction for the mistakes of perceived mistakes i should say of temple of doom it's you know going back to nazis it's going back to sort of this christian mythology and and lore it's uh going back to humor and there there are it it just seems so the humor in this is kind of goofy like there's some very goofy humor like the whole thing with the book stamp and mm-hmm. uh, and then when he he's they're getting into the castle later and he's posing as a as a Scottish guy and he's yes. doing this over yeah. the top accent. <laughs> it's just some of it's kind of silly, um, which I I find. I mean, it, I don't think it 
takes I don't think it's ever taken me out of the movie, but just that's something I noticed is that it, it's it it feels very much like an overcorrection of some of the dark and gloom of Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's um yeah, I mean and and also just when you say dark and gloom, also mm. in a way the filming of it too. Like this is a very bright movie. Mm-hmm. Everything just seems really glossy too like even once they get into the the actual place where the grail is Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just so bright and well lit and you know there's this this old guy who is so well well liked and well lit and well (laughs) like dressed in this thing that he literally became a pepsi commercial (laughs) the grail night yeah yeah uh played by an actor named robert edison um who is uh, like a lot of english actors had a a long and illustrious stage career he didn't do a lot of film work but uh apparently uh lawrence olivier was like the original choice to to be the Mm -hmm. grail knight but he was too sick at the time to to take it up but yeah that is like a i i find that character that character is like sort of what i remember of and you know just the to, to speak of humor you know the the line where you know spoiler alert for a 30 year old movie but you know when donovan <laughs> drinks from the fake grail and disintegrates and he, when he just says he chose poorly it's just such a moment of tremendous understatement and in the, yeah. the, the midst of like this high pressure situation you got like henry senior is is has been shot and he's dying gotta choose the right cup gotta make sure gotta test to make sure got to get back through the traps and and here's this you know <laughs> here's this sarcastic mofo going, he chose poorly you know well that's it for this week's show though so sorry about that we hope you liked it just the same and you can listen to it again by our finding it on our website and creditsradioshow.com you can download it from the guelph politicast channel on podbean every friday or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candace, where can people find you at up there on the internet? Yes, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Sin48, that's C-I-N-N, and the digits 48. Um, yeah, come, come try to convince me to spend three hours watching a Bollywood movie. One day I will. <laughs> um, I'll leave that there. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5pm for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donson or check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca and stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio And we shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits. And we will, of course, see you then.